Turn with me to Hosea chapter 3 as we will continue our study in the book of Hosea. This week we're going to be looking at chapter 3 in its entirety. Chapter 3 is only five verses, but there's a whole lot there, as we'll see as we open our time up of study together. Before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him again in prayer and ask that He would help us with it. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we come as a people who have been saved through no merit of our own, but as a people who are so stubborn that we are still convinced that it's all about us. And one of the ways we show that we are convinced is by opening Your Word and thinking it's also about us. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that You would show us the opposite. Show us You as we come to this text and show us that the Bible doesn't talk about how we are good, but how you are and how we need you, our Savior. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. As I read through this text today, you have this idea of these raisin cakes, and that's kind of where the title is weird title. Not good sermon titles, but uh, made me think of a trip that we took when I was really early in youth ministry. Actually, we did it a few times uh, over the course of my youth ministry, and we went. We would take the youth every Christmas to this place in Memphis called the Peabody Place, which was like a little mall. We really didn't even stay around very long because malls don't really work that much anymore. But it was there a few years anyway, and there was this nice. Nice kind of restaurant there, and we would take the kids, and they would like play video games, and we would eat a nice meal together, and it was kind of nice. But one of the students that was there had never eaten in a nice restaurant, had never seen a menu handed to her, had never um, had to order anything for herself, and so this was a bit of a difficulty. You know, they handed her the menu, she just kind of froze. There was this fear that you could see the physical reaction that came over her. She was able to read it. That wasn't that. She just didn't know how to comprehend the whole process. It was it was hard. It was different. It didn't make sense. The whole thing of seeing something on the, the reading it and and it was just so overwhelming to her, right? She just knew that she was supposed to eat something, so in the end she just reverted to the thing that she knew. And we were in this nice restaurant, steak, and it was a free meal and all this stuff, and then she ordered a small bowl of mashed potatoes because it was familiar. It was something that was easy and familiar. She was incapable of understanding the good things that were in front of her. In our passage today, we have something similar taking place as Hosea and his wife are featured again in a narrative story for us. This is the last narrative of the book. The rest of the book will have a more uh, prophetic kind of poetry that we're familiar with from the book of Isaiah with pronouncements of judgment and blessings intermingled as we go forward. But for these five verses in chapter 3, we have a quiet end to the wild life of Hosea and Gomer, or at least the end to that portion of their lives. With God's help, I'd like to think that Gomer 
Hosea's wife finally saw the good thing that was in front of her. And it started to make sense to her. And that she chose that. We're very much like that even in Christ. We have this incredible bounty put in front of us, but yet we want to hang on to those mashed potatoes as if they're the only good thing that could possibly come out of this. Even in Christ, we struggle against knowing what is good and what isn't good and how we can glorify God in all of those things. If you work through this text today, we're going to consider it in terms of the people of God before and after and the love of God that changes them through it. And so the first point, two points, the first point, the raisin cakes of old, and then second, the old made new. So with that, let's look together at the text, Hosea chapter 3, reading uh, it in its entirety, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Hosea chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lecta of barley, And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household God. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, for some context here, we need to build up the rest of the book of Hosea so far. This would be really strange. We just started here in 3. Remember in chapter 1, Hosea was commanded by God to go and take for yourself, as we read in chapter 1, a wife of whoredom, what the the ESV text says, and a children, and have children of whoredom. And Hosea did that. And he gave those children the unfortunate names that were given to him by God to give them. Jezreel, no mercy, and not my children were their names. Yet as we read through the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, we got the picture that God had planned redemption for this adulterous people. And the the marriage and children of Hosea and Gomer were to represent that redemption between God and his people. Though the children of Hosea were given these horrible names, each one of those names would find redemption, being symbolic of the redemption that Israel would find ultimately coming, of course, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as, as we if we, as we've read all of that in kind of this poetical form, what we have now is a real story. Poetry can tell a story, but not quite like this narrative that we see here that's very plain to us, right? The biblical writers tend to tell stories in narrative form. That's what we see exactly here in 
chapter 3 with the redemption of Gomer, Hosea's wife. And for me, it doesn't get much better than this picture of showing how God delivers his people. There are lots of pictures of this throughout the Bible. That's one of the purposes of God's word is to show that we are in desperate need of a Savior and there is only one. We read another one of those from Judges 16 this morning. It teaches us how we can be saved. This is a very important picture for us. The story not only shows us God's love for his wayward child, but it really paints this full kind of emotional picture of all that's going on, of how these things continue even to happen in our midst in the world today. It shows us our state before God and gives us promises that we have in Christ because of God's love to us in Christ. And that brings us to the first point, the raisin cakes of old. Look with me again at verse 1, Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to him, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I wonder how many times the book of the word raisins is in the Bible. That was a weird just thought I had, but anyway. When we compare this to verse 2 of chapter 1. So just turn the page back and look at verse 2, chapter 1. The Lord first spoke through Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land permits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. You have this kind of comparison, right? He first goes to him and says, go and marry this wife who is unfaithful and have children with her. Why? Because the Lord, or because they commit great whoredom to the Lord by forsaking him. Well, here in chapter one, or verse one of chapter three, go again, love a woman, she's still unfaithful, who is loved by another man who is an adulteress, why, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Go and love your unfaithful wife, wife, even as the Lord loves his unfaithful people. This must have been an incredibly difficult thing for Hosea. As I've studied this book, It has made me think that the first person I want to speak to when I go into glory is this man, Hosea. Because, wow, what an incredible situation. Imagine this whole thing. It's not as if any of this is happening in secret either, right? His whole family, the whole arrangement of what's going on, the fact that he's going to have to go purchase her back, The exploits of Gomer are probably somewhat public knowledge, I would imagine, if culture and society is anything like it is today, which not too much changes, there's nothing new under the sun, you can just imagine all of the whispering that is going on behind this family's back. And now Hosea is asked to go and find her and love her again. And this love simply isn't just finding her and bringing her home, Right? Bring her home. But it involves purchasing her from whoever she is owned by. We don't exactly understand what was going on there, why he had to 
purchase her, but whatever the case, just imagine that. Having to come up with all that silver and grain. It wasn't just a little bit either, it was a lot. Right? Having to come up with all of these things in order to purchase his wife back from her many employers. And these instructions come from the Lord again. Because this is how he plans to act toward his people. The Lord loves his children, though they turn to other gods. He plans to purchase them from their false gods and bring them home. And normally when you think of a purchase, right, you think of this idea of purchasing something. You go to the store to purchase something, you have some amount of concern of the quality of that product, right? Like when you purchase something, you assume that it's going to be in working order, that it's going to be of, there's some expectation of quality associated with that product, right? A purchase just automatically, inherently has that. For Hosea, you'd like to think that his purchase would result in a suitable product, which in the context is a wife that wouldn't leave him again for another man. And for God, you'd think that the purchase for him would hopefully be a people who wouldn't so idly turn to other gods. But notice what's going on here. It's really worse than we would even imagine. Notice what they're turning to. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, verse 1, though they turn to other gods, which this isn't new, right? And love cakes of raisins. What? It might be tempting to make something more special of this, right? To read these cakes of raisins and think, well, we need to do something here because obviously no one's that fickle, right? No one literally is choosing snacks over the true God of the universe. I've seen it a bit as I've read through commentaries where they'll say something to the effect of, well, maybe maybe raisin cakes were used in the pagan rituals of the time. And they're, they're just alluding to those pagan rituals. That it's exchanging a wrong religious practice for a right one, a false god for a true one. Which ultimately, yes, that's what's happening. I don't think the pagan god thing is necessarily true. I think something much more sinister is going on here. The picture that I get is of a wedding. Imagine being at a wedding, right? And being a guest at that wedding and going up to the bride and saying, why are you marrying this man? Which would be a weird question to ask at a wedding, I understand. But what's the question, what's the answer that you would understand? Or that you would expect? Because I love him. I want to be his for all eternity, right? I want to be with him. As, you know, all the vows, thinking about that, right? I want to be his. Till death do us part. But no, instead the bride saying, I'm just going to wherever has the best snacks. Imagine leaving the Creator, the one who from all the way back in the beginning said, everybody here is bad, but I'm going to take this group of bad people and make them for myself because I am a good God. And then that people saying, Oh God, I really appreciate it. But see that rock over there named Baal? It has raisin cakes. So, I think we're going to go over here. Points to a people who are so fickle, so shallow, 
that they would exchange true riches for dirt if they thought it would give them just a few more seconds of pleasure, of wealth, of status, of really anything at all. They exchanged the almighty God for raisin cakes, yet he intends to buy them back anyway. Why do they do this? Well, they don't know any better. How can I say that? Understand, as an unbeliever, as one who doesn't believe in God, the unbeliever doesn't doesn't not choose the Lord. It's not that they come to, to God and say, well, I've thought about the situation. I'd rather have nothing than have everything. That's not it. Right? You hear people talk about this all the time. I actually heard it on the way here this morning as I, as I caught some uh, pastor preaching this morning on the radio talking about how he found God. That's not actually what went on at all. It's not that we made some sort of intellectual decision and came to the conclusion that God's actually better than raising cakes. That's not true at all. We are these fickle people without Him. The reason we do this is because what does the Bible tell us? We can't understand because we're dead in our trespasses. The decision to put away God and exchange Him for raisin cakes or whatever else, any false God at all, is the, is rational to the unbeliever. Why? Because as Paul tells us, none is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks after God. So for the unbeliever, this makes sense. Why do we still do it in Christ? What do we have to say for ourselves? We've been changed. We know better. Gummer knew better. She had Hosea. He was a good man. He loved her children, even though they probably weren't his. He married her, even though he knew that she was going to be unfaithful. What about us? Why do we turn to raisin cakes and exchange it for the lover of our souls? Why do we exchange the immortal, invisible, God-only wise for what amounts to a small bowl of mashed potatoes in a fancy restaurant? This is the fight of our lifetime, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have any inclination as to your own sin, you understand this struggle. If you heard what I just said and you're like, I don't really struggle with that, then you don't understand the depth of your sin and the need that you have for Jesus. This is the struggle of our lives. Though we've been purchased, though we've been redeemed, we still aren't always convinced. We still aren't always convinced and we still wander back. And this is why, brothers and sisters, that we will continue to preach the gospel from this pulpit. Because we still need Jesus. When we get to the point when we start, when we stop turning to Jesus, we've messed up. And when we get to the point when we stop turning away from Him, then I will stop preaching the gospel. And seeing as that's not going to happen until He comes back, we will preach Christ until He returns. Or until we go to be with Him. And we'll preach that until we are made new, until we no longer choose raisin cakes over him. 
And that brings us to the second point, the old made new. Look with me again at verses 2 and 3. Again, this is Hosea writing these words about this situation. It's just incredible to me. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I be with you. So he bought Homer or bought Gomer for some silver and some grain, which again, which means she was probably in some sort of slavery type of situation. Whatever the case, he purchased her, he brought her home, and he said to her words that showed that he indeed did follow God's commands to love her again. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also do for you. There's a lot going on here. Rather than being the property of another, she was now Hosea's, not his property, but his wife. She was retired from her former occupation. She was no longer to play the harlot or to belong to another man. And Hosea promised the same to her, even though he had shown no unfaithfulness up to this point. And this is significant. Because wouldn't it have been easy for God to simply find the people who might have been more faithful than we've been to him? Maybe there would have been a more faithful people in another part of the world someplace that he could have just gone and found, well, this whole thing is not working out, so I'm going to go find something else. He could kick the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the curb and find someone else, right? Could have done that. And that's just it. He could have searched the whole globe. He already knew the answer. No one does righteousness. No one understands. No one seeks after God. There are no good people. There are no faithful people. Hosea knew that he might find himself in a situation where he was going to be doing this again with Gomer. But he would remain faithful. And just like Hosea, God's faithfulness isn't dependent on our faithfulness. Imagine that. That if God's faithfulness slid up and down just as ours does, dependent upon how good we are or how faithful we are from day to day. We aren't in a relationship with God where we meet each other halfway. Meeting each other halfway is the quickest way for a marriage to end in divorce. Why? Because at least speaking for myself, sometimes I can't go halfway, right? Sometimes I'm unable to go 10% of the way. Sometimes I'm struggling so much that I can't even go halfway for a long period of time. Because we just struggle. Life's not easy. Sometimes I need my spouse to go further for me because I am a failure. If I'm dependent on the meet me halfway mentality, we might not ever meet again. Faithfulness is being willing to go all the way every time. Not just halfway. For the people of God, it was a 100-0 relationship. And it will be for all eternity. God went the whole way for his children. 
This was shown in the death of his son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, who died so that his people could be purchased for sin and death. And note that he didn't purchase something that was going to get better. He purchased something that was going to continue to turn away from him. But he purchased them nonetheless. And when he purchased them, he didn't just go halfway that we might meet him. Because there's no such thing as halfway dying. We can't even add to that either, right? Jesus died for us, well let me make his death a little more death. We can't add to that either. I can't do anything to have him die less than he did. Or die a little bit more than he did. His death was sufficient was complete, and the whole people of God were delivered in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's because of his faithfulness that we can read the last two verses that we find here in chapter 3. Verse 4, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his and to his goodness in the latter days. Verse 4 is pointing to a time when Israel would be in exile and they would have no king. Syria would come in and completely devastate them, scattering the 10 northern tribes to the wind. And it might have seemed as if the promises of God were all for naught up to this point. They remembered the promises of God concerning Israel that there would always be a a king on the throne of David. He made that promise to David that there would always be a throne on the king of David for all eternity. So this idea that Assyria could just swoop in and completely destroy Israel must have been unsettling to them. They deserved much worse for their infidelity. They deserved to continue in their status as no mercy and not my people. But it wouldn't stay like that. Verse 5, But afterward the children of Israel shall return. They shall seek the Lord. And David, their king. They are going to return. Even after they've been scattered to the wind, they return. In fact, all of God's people, not just the Jewish people, but all Israel, Jews and Gentiles, would and will return to him. We see this with the coming of Jesus. Every nation calling upon the name of Jesus Christ. And notice the change. We now seek after him. We now come to him in reverence and fear. And we have a king on the throne of David. It's not David, it's David's son, David's Lord, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we often turn to other gods and we think they have something that can possibly help us cope with the world that we see around us. And this is becoming increasingly more difficult as the world around us seems increasingly more difficult. Sometimes it's a substance thing. Drugs, alcohol, food... Sometimes it's a people thing. Adultery, power, personal glory. Sometimes it's a possessions thing. Money, status. Whatever it is, 
It's because we look around at the world and we say, I'm going to need something else, someone else, to fix this for me. Like Gomer looking at her husband and saying, Jose is great, but I really need something that he can't offer. The problem with that logic, our God is the very king of kings. None of those other gods are even gods at all. They can't give us anything but trouble. Maybe they have some nice snacks to offer, but they offer nothing of real substance. In fact, they're just no God at all. Brothers and sisters in Christ, go again. Love your God. He is faithful, even when you aren't. He's faithful to forgive any time we ask. He's faithful to welcome us back each and every time. Return to Him. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, the same for you. There is no other Savior. By rejecting God and taking a false God, you've walked into a restaurant with the finest food, but you've chosen a small bowl of mashed potatoes to suit you. The difference, of course, is that God won't settle for this. This isn't going to be okay for God. Jesus, If Jesus doesn't stand for your sins, you'll have to stand for them yourself. And it'll be Jesus himself that you'll face and he'll say to you, away from me, I never knew you. Call upon his name today. Know him. Repent and believe that he is Lord. In conclusion, the call for us, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we read Hosea 3, even as we go forward in this book, is to examine our lives to pray for God to show us those areas where we are turning from Him and to other things. I promise He will answer that prayer because He wants you completely. Turn from those things. Turn to Him. Find rest from the world and find rest in Christ and preach Jesus to a lost world that they may too find rest in Him. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these words, we pray that you would help us to see those areas of our lives in which we are so fickle to turn from the one who said everything is yours and turning to the ones that say, well, they don't say anything because they're nothing. Lord, help us. We are a people who know the truth, but still sometimes don't do or listen. We pray that you would change us, that we would seek after you, that you would continue to conform us to your will, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, that we would be faithful messengers of this message to a lost and dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.